First Samuel 23. When David was told, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kila and are looting the threshing floors. He inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, Go, attack the Philistines and save Kila. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more than if we go to Kila against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Kila, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hands. So David and his men went to Kila, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Kila. Now Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Kila. Saul was told that David had gone to Kila, and he said, God has handed him over to me. For David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Kila to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod. David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Kila and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Kila surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will. Again David asked, Will the citizens of Kila surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, They will. So David and his men, about six hundred in number, left Kila and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kila, he did not go there. David stayed in the desert strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh on the hill of Hakilah south of Jeshimon? Now, O king, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for handing him over to the king. Saul replied, The Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and make further preparation. Find out where David usually goes and who has seen him there. They tell me he's very crafty. Find out about all the hiding places he uses and come back to me with definite information. Then I will go with you. If he is in the area, I will track him down among all the clans of Judah. So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. And David and his men were in the desert of Maon in the Arabah south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men began the search, and when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard this, he went into the desert of Maon to, in pursuit of David. 
Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly! The Philistines are raiding the land! And Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Selah Hamalekoth. Uh, Hamalekoth. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Let's sing. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, last Sunday, had the have the privilege of being here two Sundays in a row and a little bit of continuity. Last Sunday, in 1 Samuel 22, we saw how the Lord was David's help in dark times, terrible, tragic times. In 1 Samuel 21, God is David's help in the messiness of life, the confusing times, not certain, you know, sometimes we're not certain what decision we should make, whether or what we did was right or wrong. And in the midst of those confusing times, well, God has mercy for David as well. Here in 1 Samuel 23, we can see that the Lord sustains and he helps David in the wilderness. The wilderness we know in, in Scripture is a common, it's a real place, but also a metaphor for those times of dryness and thirstiness, times of barrenness. Maybe when we don't see fruit around us or we wonder where and if God is, is even at work. The wilderness is a time of desolation or loneliness. Or it could even be the wilderness of our own sin and the, the dust that comes with that, the, the sadness and the desolation that sin brings, a wearying time of life and so Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness a judgment from the Lord but also a time of testing to see what was in their hearts Deuteronomy 8 God says I did that to show that you would show me what was in your heart would you trust me or we can think of Christ in the wilderness the Spirit, before Jesus is publicly manifested, or sorry, right after Jesus is publicly manifested and anointed as the Messiah with the baptism by John and the descending of the Holy Spirit, then the Spirit leads him immediately into the wilderness to be tested, to show us, to prove to us that he is our champion. And there the, the test is with, with the bread, or turning the stones into bread with jumping off the temple and being that miracle worker and, and showing the people that God is and God favors me. Or the temptation to bow down to Satan and receive all the kingdoms of this world without having to go to the cross. Skip the suffering. Skip the pain. Just go straight to the glory, Jesus. At the heart of it all, the test was, do you trust your heavenly Father? Will you patiently with waiting and with hope. Believe that your Father's promise is enough for you to cling to, not having to resort to your own resources, not having to force God's hands, not needing to uh, tempt Him. Well, in that wilderness, our Lord Jesus stands strong. Before Christ, well, His type, His outline in the Old Testament, the shadow of Christ was David, a king after God's own heart, God's anointed. 
where David is, that's where the kingdom of God is at work. And that's all a foreshadowing and leading to Christ, the eternal king. And so as we follow David, we need to think kingdom. And as we think kingdom, we need to think ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just a way of trying to invent Christ in the passage. No, this is clearly what the New Testament also teaches us, that Jesus is the son of David according to the flesh the Son of God, risen with power by the resurrection from the dead. He has ascended David's throne. He is the eternal King of kings. David experiences all that the Son of God will experience, although Jesus Christ will experience it in fullness and in truth. Well, the Lord sustains David here in his wilderness test. The Lord sustains David in his wilderness test. First, with his dependable word, verses 1 to 14. And then we'll see with Jonathan's visit to David uh, in verses 15 to 18, with a faithful friend. God sustains David in his wilderness test with a faithful friend. And then finally, in verses 19 to verse 29, he sustains David with his wise providence. So his dependable word, his faithful friends, and his wise providence. First, then, God sustains David with his dependable word. As you look at the chapter, verses 1 to 14, though it's not divided up that way in the NIV, really 1 to 14 is kind of the, the, it's the first frame of this story of, of, of chapter 23. And the very center of the frame is that verse in parentheses as though it's just a parenthetical note, but really it's David's, or it's the Holy Spirit saying to us through the author of 1 Samuel that, that for your information, this is how David was receiving the word of the Lord. Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, remember Ahimelech's family had all been killed by Saul at Nob. Abiathar alone had escaped. He had run to David. And he'd brought with him the ephod. Well, what was this ephod? Well, it's part of the priest's uniform. And inside or attached to the ephod, we don't, again, we don't have, like we can't go back and, and find the, the original uniform and, and so forth. But what we can piece together is that inside that ephod was the urim and thummim the Bible speaks of. The Bible clearly says that the Urim and Thummim is the priest's way, God, the God-granted priest's way of discerning the will of the Lord in particular uh, specific situations. And that's how it was used here. And so David, that's why we see David asking these yes-no questions. Probably a couple of stones, these Urim and Thummim. And that the Lord would use this to reveal his will in answer to yes and no questions. And so David, when he hears about this attack on the city of Kilah, apparently Saul isn't going to help. Saul is too busy dreaming up ways of, of hunting down David. So David, who is a true king, a, God after, a man after God's own hearts, he desires to help. He wants to, to rescue this people, but he first seeks the will of the Lord. And so he asks, shall I go and attack? And he's, again, he's doing this through, through Abiathar the priest. And the, the Lord's answer is, yes, go. David's men, 
Have other wisdom for him. Uh, we don't think this is a good idea, David. You know, what, uh, what kind of danger are we going to place ourselves in doing this? David, however, unlike Saul, does not force his will. He is a true leader. He will seek the Lord. He listens to his people, but he does that underneath the word of God, striving to be the sort of leader that, again, doesn't force his will, but seeks to show that he is a servant of the word, which is what we all ought to be. As, as parents, as pastors, as elders and teachers and so forth, that we don't simply, sometimes we do just need to tell our kids, well, this is just the way it is. But in the main, we need to be ready to give reasons and to show that what we are doing is we are being servants of the word. We're not saying this just because it comes from us and under our authority, but it comes from the word of God. That's what David is doing here. And he seeks the Lord's will and the Lord says, go and I'll give you success. You will You will defeat the Philistines. And so sure enough, David goes and they win a great battle, great victory there. Kyla is saved. Then Saul hears about it. Saul now knows here, you know, this is where David is. Apparently a Philistine attack against Kyla was not a sufficient enough reason for Saul to go there. But now that David's there, Here's his opportunity to get him. So now suddenly Kyla is a place of interest and off he goes. David hears about it and again he turns to the Lord. All, notice this. All that Saul has in, this, in, the, in the rest of 1 of Samuel because he stopped listening to the Lord and so the Lord removed his word from him although Saul always had that opportunity to repent but because Saul willfully has stopped listening to God. All he has are his spies. All he has are his informants and so forth. David, however, has something of far greater dependability and worth, and that is the word of God. So again, he seeks the Lord. Is is Saul coming? Yes, he is. Will the men of Kila betray me? Yes, they will. And so in seeking God's help in prayer, and God answering through his word, David is able to uh, escape from the hands of Saul. And, and kind of an incidental note here, but, but, but important to, to, to see, is the significance of prayer. We often think when we pray, well, if God has ordered everything from the beginning of the world to its end, if he's decreed everything that will happen, every single iota of my life, then why should I even bother praying? God's going to do it anyways. Well, this is where we see that God ordains our prayers to change the course of history in a way that's beyond us, but this is what God does. Did he decree that Saul would turn back? Yes, he would. Did he decree that the men of Kilah, though they had this desire in their hearts, they wouldn't be able to care, you know, follow through on that desire? Well, yes, he did. But he also ordained that this would be through David's prayer, We need to remember this. When we pray, God truly works. God truly responds. And prayer does change things. And all of this is in that context of David seeking the Lord. The emphasis of the text is on that. The Holy Spirit desires us to see something here from, from David's life. And that is especially here, that emphasis of, of seeking the Lord. 
Now we can ask ourselves, well, that's great for David, but I don't receive that sort of direct, precise guidance. I don't have the Urim and Thummim. As I told my congregation this morning, this makes them a little nervous, and I understand that, but I'm considering a call right now to uh, Hope Center in, in Toronto, and I tell them, I wish I had the Urim and Thummim. I wish it was that easy, but I don't, and the fact is, I'm not meant to. I'm not King David. I don't carry that special office that David had, and, and he was given that special guidance, and the fact is, in God's wisdom, that wouldn't be good for me. It wouldn't be good for any of us. But we have something far greater, in fact. We've got the whole story. We've got the word of God from beginning to end. And God, in specific situations in the Old Testament, or even in the New Testament, in times of new revelation during the apostolic period, he would give specific, direct guidance. But that's only every so often. Far more often, God treats us as the human beings, responsible human beings that we are. And he wants us to struggle with him in the word, to know this word, to receive this as his voice, and to in wisdom carefully read scripture, seriously endeavoring to put it into practice. And when we live in that kind of context, he will guide our hearts. He will lead us into the decisions we ought to be making. In fact, our great high priest, no longer Abiathar, the Lord Jesus Christ, promises us in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, that he has grace to help us in our time of need. When we seek him in prayer, when we seek him as he has revealed himself to us in his word, he will give us the grace. He will sustain us by his word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Proverbs 3. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, that is, as you walk, as you make your decisions, as you live your life, acknowledge him. You, you set him up here. Father, I don't want to do anything that's not good for me and that's not for your glory. You place him there and he will make your path straight. God sustains us still today by his word. It is the living word. It is not a bunch of words, black words written on a page that we get to dissect and just talk about and theorize over, but we stand underneath this word as God speaks to us his dependable word for all of life. Secondly, God sustains David with a faithful friend, Jonathan. The friendship of Jonathan and David, I may have said this previously in the when I've been here, to me, one of the most beautiful friendships in Scripture, some of the most beautiful words and passages come from this friendship between these two brothers. Jonathan, remember, humanly speaking, worldly, fleshly speaking, ought to be David's worst enemy. Because Jonathan is next in line according to the rule of succession. He's Saul's son. He's the king's son. He's the prince. David is the one who is now threatening to take the throne. Jonathan should be wanting to off David, get rid of him, destroy him. Instead, Jonathan already early on gave David his armor, showing deference to him as the next in line, as the anointed king. And Jonathan says here to him, 
you will be king, David. And I will be second place. I will play second fiddle. I'm fine with that. Like John the Baptist saying of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. I am fine with that. I'm good. This is the way it ought to be and that is my blessing as well. Well, here comes Jonathan to meet up with David. And if you look carefully where this is placed, you'll see in verses 7 to 14, David has just been betrayed by the men of Kilah. He rescues them And then we find out they are prepared to sell him to Saul. What a blow. Talk about ingratitude. Talk about a knife in the back. In verses 19 and following, he will be betrayed by the men of Ziph. These are his own countrymen over whom he will be the anointed king. He's not done them any harm. And they will betray him. Here he is surrounded by these guys he can't trust. Everyone seems to be after him. Treachery, betrayal, deceits. And it's in the midst of that that God sends a faithful friend right on time. And isn't this often the case? I hope that, I trust that you can attest to that. Those times when someone in your life, they didn't even realize it, but they called you at the right time or they sent you that note at the right time. Use that gift Bless that gift, encourage that gift of of being a friend when someone comes to mind. When suddenly you you, you think of someone or are inclined to pray for them. Don't ignore the fact that that's the Holy Spirit putting that there. And so be a good friend. Well, here is Jonathan. He comes to David at just the right time. And listen to his words He's not just saying empty platitudes. He is speaking the promises of God. Jonathan, who knows that David is anointed to be king, God has said it. And Jonathan will remind him of that. Don't be afraid, David. Saul isn't going to get you. You will be king. And I will be second fiddle. And the fact is, even my father Saul knows this. Saul's a fool. Classic case of folly here. He knows that David is going to be the king. He knows that this is God's purpose, but he is going to fight and rage against it anyways until the day he dies. He will have moments of reprieve, moments of repentance, but they are skin deep. Jonathan says, my dad knows this as well. I know it. He knows it. You ought to know that he knows it. This is God's promise. Take heart, my brother David. Remember the promises of God. And this, brothers and sisters, is what we can say also to one another. Jonathan could say this to David because David, um, Christ is already preparing David for this role. Well, in the Lord Jesus Christ, what role do you, what calling do you have? Well, we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism. And why are you called a Christian? Well, because I belong to Jesus. And I am anointed by the Spirit to be prophet, priest, and king. I belong to Jesus. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 3? 
You are Christ, and Christ is God's, therefore all things are yours. Heaven, earth, present, future, death, life, it's yours. Nothing can take you away from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. And we remember these promises. And again, I I said to my congregation this morning, I seem to have a lot of those moments in the past few years, especially looking at the, the, the state of our nation, state of of even our province and city. Those moments where I'm sitting around with my friends, sitting around with my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I realize we've just spent the last hour griping and complaining. In some cases, listening to conspiracy theories and what we needed, what we really need in that moment it's not more talking about all those powerful people out there and what they're doing and the, and, and the wickedness in the world, but it's to say, what do, what do we need to hear from God? You know, Joshua 1, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do not be discouraged. Remember the promises of God. The enemies of Christ are but a moment. They are here today and gone tomorrow, but the promises of God endure forever. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Everything is yours. You give these promises to someone who is stuck in depression, someone who is anxious, someone who is sorrowing and grieving, someone who is just stuck in in the rut of life. When we are afraid, we bring these promises to mind. This is what faithful friends do. We need the body of Christ in this wilderness in which we live. We need the Word of God. We've just heard that in the first point. But we also need the body to be there for one another. And most deeply, to be sharing our faith, to be sharing the things of, of Christ. And as I look at your bulletin and see, you know, that church education year coming up and the prayer meetings and the Bible studies and discipleship groups, wonderful. And embrace those and remember why God gives them to you for the fellowship of his people and for the discipleship of the nations and faithful friends. Uh, Keep that up. These are God's gifts to us. Jonathan Edwards, as Dale Ralph Davis reports, Jonathan Edwards, when he was dying, one of of the things he said, he he spoke with longing for Jesus of Nazareth. My true and never-failing friend. When we think of being faithful friends, we need to look beyond uh, these friends. We need to look beyond David and Jonathan. Remember what Christ said to his, his disciples. No longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. The Lord Jesus who took our place, who took on our flesh, who came so close to us. That having taken on our flesh, he can also as God, through his death and resurrection, now unite us to to the Trinity. That we can have union and communion with God in the broken body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is truly a faithful friend. As he told Peter, Peter, you're going to be tested like crazy. You will sin. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
Jesus. Not a concept purely, not a, not a set of doctrines, not a belief, but a person, our friend, who is, as we heard from Hebrews 4, there to help us, to give us grace, a sympathetic high priest to give us grace in our time of need. Thirdly and finally, God sustains David with his wise providence. David is hiding in the strongholds in the desert of Ziph, and the Ziphites make a point of traveling to Gibeah, not under pressure from Saul. It seems to be voluntary. Perhaps they're hoping for some paybacks from Saul in the, in the positive sense, hoping for some rewards from him. They go all the way to Saul to let him know, David's by us. You come over, you come down, and we'll make sure we'll do our part and deliver him into your hands. Now listen to Saul. Saul, who is against God and against his purposes, it's a reminder just because someone says the right things does not mean that they are worshiping the Lord God in their hearts. He says, the Lord bless you for your concern for me. What a creep. He's going against God and his kingdom. He's living in rebellion. He is going to, he's seeking to kill God's anointed. And then he tells them, the Lord bless you. At any rate, if we know that he will not succeed does not have the word of the Lord. He just has these informants who will ultimately fail. And they will ultimately fail because of the wise providence of God. Saul comes with his army. David has moved south about four miles to the wilderness of Maon. And in the wilderness of Maon, apparently there's this kilometer and a half ridge, steep ridge, uh, that then moves into a wadi that is an empty creek bed. And David's on one side, Saul is on the other side. But Saul begins to circle around and, and as it would be as, as David is getting pressed into a, a, a wadi that he can't, he's got nowhere to go. And Saul and his army are putting on this pincer move. And at the moment, the very moment, David's speeding, but we get the sense this isn't going to turn out well. Saul is on him. The army is surrounding him. He is stuck. He is done for. It's at that right moment, that right time, God sends a Savior, the Philistines. The Philistines. The messenger says, the Philistines are attacking the land, King Saul. So Saul wheels about and heads off to to defend his territory. God sends the Philistines of all people. They had no idea. All they were going for was loot and pillaging and glory. They had evil intents, but as Joseph says to his brothers, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. We've seen this throughout the book of Samuel, and this is another clear case of that God the, our providential Father holds all things and nothing can move nor be moved apart from His will. Even His enemies, even Satan, can do nothing apart from His permission. And all Satan can do and all God's enemies can do ultimately is achieve His own purposes. 
And we see that so clearly here. They don't have a clue of any of this. They just think they're heroes. They're off to, to, to build their kingdoms. God uses them to build his own, to rescue King David, to bring about the salvation of the world through his greater son, Christ our King. So the wise providence of God, don't be blind to it in your own life. Know that in the wilderness, God is testing. He does this because he loves you. He is in control. And he will also use those wilderness times and the enemy is in it for your good and for the advancement of his kingdom. His wise providence. Psalm 54 verse 4 is David is reflecting on this event in his life. He sings, God is my helper. God is my helper. His word with faithful friends, with his wise providence. All of those journeys, I look back and I see God is my helper. David traveled this road of suffering as the Lord's anointed resembling the Christ who had no place to lay his head, who was despised, rejected, betrayed. His own did not receive him. Jesus came to the throne along the path of suffering. David, too, had to travel that road. But we are all strangers in a strange land. We are, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, elect pilgrims, chosen by God, but we're strangers. We're passing through. Our citizenship is somewhere else. We are called to be here. But we're called not to live by the principles of the world. To be in this world, to be a blessing to the city in which we live, to pray for its peace. To rule the creation, fulfill the cultural mandate, all for the glory of God. We need to acknowledge as well that we are in the wilderness. And there will be those particularly dry times. But whether in plenty or in little, How do we walk this pathway? What do we need? We need the Word of God, and we need the people of God. And we need that outlook on life that God's got everything in His control, in His wise providence. He does all things well. It doesn't always feel like it to us. But He does. He did for David. And ultimately did for the Lord Jesus Christ who said on the cross, Why? Why have you forsaken me? Never lost faith. Never stopped trusting. And so the Lord has given him the name above all names. That in Christ's exaltation, we see our own. We walk that path of obedience. Also and especially in those wilderness times. For that reason too, David was exalted. And for us as well. He will exalt us because Christ in his humiliation obtained the exaltation for us. Amen. Let's respond in song. Singing.